0: This episode is brought to you by Balagan Be Gone. Join the Painless Pesach Decluttering Challenge at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash 36 days. That's the number 36 days. Challenge starts February 14. Balagan Be Gone's Painless Pesach Decluttering Challenge at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash 36 days. This episode is brought to you by Odeo Academy. Learn to build the career of your dreams in the fun, fulfilling, and lucrative industry of digital marketing without drowning in student loan debt, compromising your values, or working for peanuts. Learn to build your digital marketing career at odeoacademy.com forward slash jlp and claim $100 off your enrollment entering the code jlp at checkout ODio is o-d-e-o check it out at odioacademy.com forward slash jlp and get $100 off with the code jlp jewish latin princess episode 149 tv host entrepreneur best known as nanny bubby marla Leticia. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer, Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. Morning TV show host, nightly news anchor, full time mom until she embarked on her own business, an unstoppable entrepreneur changing the Las Vegas advertising landscape with her mobile billboards business. Marla Leticia, now known as Nanny Bubby, has reinvented herself yet again, and she's with us on the show. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess Amya trust your host. Welcome back. Who is Nanny Bubby? Well, you're going to get to know her pretty well today. From her life's choices, pivotal moments, huge business challenges, which made me wonder, why not take a break, put your feet up and watch TV? No, she's not just going to watch cooking shows, she's going to be the one doing the cooking on live TV, even though a few years ago she couldn't get her family to eat her meals. Nanny Bubby is now on a mission to transform women's lives by bringing joy back into the kitchen, curing the young mother's dinner dreads, and we all know about that, (laughs) while at the same time inspiring women her age to reinvent themselves. She's here to serve. Hang on tight, because here's Marla Letitia. Latisha, better known as Nanny Bubby, Chef Nanny Bubby. No, no, well, just Nanny Bubby. Just Nanny Bubby. Just Nanny Bubby. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you. I
1: am really excited to be here for two reasons. Number one, to spend time with you like this is great for me. But also, from the moment I discovered this podcast, I became a binge listener, <laughs> and I love the information that you share. And the true confidence that you have as the host is really amazing. I know you said that people call you the Jewish Oprah. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, wait a minute. I think people called me that, but honestly, (laughs) right? But honestly, you are so talented in this area. So I'm really happy
0: to be here with you. Well, thank you. First of all, you make me blush and listeners, you should know, I did not pay her to say that. (laughs) And I take it as a huge compliment knowing that you're really a celebrity here. You're a TV celebrity. You're coming from a vast experience in TV. You had your own morning talk show in the 80s. Mm -hmm. You even had, uh, you were an anchor on night TV, right? Nightly news. Yeah. Nightly news. I was cast in the city. You were... You were really a trailblazer also in terms of, of TV production and directing for, for women, women in the industry. And eventually you found your own company that you scaled massively, which is a whole big story we want to get into. It's okay. it, it was a huge company in Nevada, big traffic, advertising in the trucking industry. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Talk about trailblazing.
1: <laughs> I don't look like a girl who would know anything about trucks. And at first I didn't, but now I know a lot. <laughs>
0: you definitely do not look like a girl who would be hanging out with trucks or trucking or anything related to that. But I do think that there is something in the story and the challenges that you overcame through the years working or and, 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 and scaling this company, Big Traffic, with which then I would say unbeknownst to you at the time led you to kind of reconcile your relationship with food or find your passion for food and to this new business venture, which is you serving the world as nanny Bubby in the kitchen. So why don't we start with the, the story behind big traffic and how that has led us to where we are today?
1: Well, um, My husband is in the advertising business, and he was the um, campaign manager for Las Vegas's first Jewish mayor, um, Oscar Goodman, who was a big uh, criminal attorney, handled all the mobsters throughout time. He was very well known. They call him the mob mayor, but he wasn't in the mob. He just defended those guys. And during the time that my husband was running that campaign, a guy came to him with a truck, which was a mobile billboard. And he said, look, this would be great for the campaign. You could put Oscar's face, you know, on both sides of the truck. I can drive it around town. It will be a great like campaign billboard for Oscar Goodman. And my husband in two seconds looked at that product and said, you're hired. How much? paid the guy, came home and told me. And I said, in my wisdom, I hate those things. They are so terrible. I get so mad about them. And Oscar is going to get so mad when he hears what you did. So this was my, you know, infinite, uh, intelligent answer to my husband. I said the same thing to him when he brought home a CD player. <laughs> what? Why would we? Anyway, so I'm not really the sharpest tool in the, in the shed at some point here, but, um, but over the three month campaign, Yael, I watched how that mobile billboard really did a job. People were talking about it. Whenever Oscar had an appearance, the mobile billboard would be parked outside and it drew people into the event. And, and it was a great, great, great idea. Mm -hmm. So, um, a year later, our daughter was getting ready to leave for college. Now I walked out and I will tell you, it's those words walked out of my broadcast career Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when my children were born, when my first daughter was born, there was no daycare in those days. And I could not envision myself being the kind of mother who would leave a kid every day with a nanny and, uh, go to work and be a TV star and then come home to my children, my children were just, I couldn't see myself, my priority was them. And no um, career or being a star, if you will, and I was the highest uh, known name in the marketplace at the time, and I just quit. My, My news director said to me, do you know how many girls would kill to be here and have your job and you wanna quit? And I said, well, yep, I know there's a million girls out there that would love this job, but there's only one baby at home right now who will ever call me mother because it was my first child and I have to be there for her. And I left. I gave two weeks notice, but they let me go sooner. And okay. there were a million girls that took that job, right? right. That wanted that job. And, and took you probably
0: job. left a pretty decent paycheck as well. Okay. Uh, not,
1: not in the much, believe it or not. Uh, you know, it was, it was, I mean, I guess scaled to where it was at the time. That's true. But looking back, it was pennies. It's almost a joke, but anyway. Um, and so when I did that, I made a deal with the almighty, a very confident deal with him. Mm-hmm. And I said, I am doing what I know I'm meant to do. And when my children go off to college I know something amazing will be there waiting for me. I have no idea what it is, but I'm never going to think about it until the day that that happens. And I will know exactly what it is. And I never thought about it again.
0: I need to stop you there because I've never heard anybody say it like this. Usually the narrative is women give up so much. And then we struggle throughout the parenting years and we feel like there's something that's unfulfilled and we kind of want to go back, but we don't know how to go back. And there's like this internal struggle and there's, there's a guilt and there's all these emotions during those parenting years. I have never in the narrative of, you know, how women balance it all heard anybody say I made a decision and I knew I was going to go back to the business world. I knew I was going to get fulfilled in that area of my life, but there was a date when I was going to dedicate, and I trusted the process and never thought about it throughout. Do you realize how unique that is? Mm, Not really,
1: because I I mean, maybe so now that you said it, yes, that is true, but at the time, it was so divinely, like it was like you know, The sky opened, the light shone on me, and I knew like I knew like I knew that this was what I was meant to be, a mother. I would put everything I had into it, and when that came to an end by them going out of the nest, that there would be something fabulous for me and I never knew what it would be. I just trusted it, and that gave me a lot of fulfillment during the years where I was breastfeeding a newborn baby basically. And I knew what was happening in the newsroom at 11 in the morning. And it was very hard to sit there and hold a baby because I had energies that still wanted to be, you know, doing that. But I would calm them by saying there is a promise. There is a trust and uh, that day will come.
0: Now, I want to ask you before we continue with this story, which is already fascinating. Where do you think that level of trust comes? Because again, I want to highlight that I don't think I I I think it's unusual. I think that level of trust, you said it in the Almighty and in myself and in my in my higher authority in God is is not it's not the norm. Where does that come from, you think, Marla?
1: Well, I wish I could tell you that up to that point I had been a very spiritual person, but I had not been. I mean, I was really young, I was 28. 28 years old when that baby was born. So was just and, something from your soul. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it kind of scaring me right now. I'm getting kind of chills over the whole thought of this. I don't know where I am truly a spiritual person now. Very, very, very deeply. But at 28 years old, I just, I don't know. I don't know why I would have such an inclination, but the fact is, and the truth is that I did. Hmm. And
0: that was it. All right. Yeah. So what happens next? So you're raising your kids. Um, your husband is doing his job in his right. advertising firm. And, and, and what happens?
1: And so a year after the Oscar Goodman campaign, and they won, by the way, he went on to have uh, three terms as mayor, 12 years. Um, but a year later after that first campaign, my daughter goes off to college. And ding, ding, ding. I'm like, hey, you up there. <laughs> Remember that promise? What am I supposed to do now? Because I know there's something. And um, I kept looking for it. I applied for jobs. I kept thinking there was this. I kept thinking there was that. And one night I was uh, sitting around and my husband was sitting on the couch. I remember standing over him and saying, there's something I'm supposed to do. What is it? What am I supposed to be doing? I know there's something there. He was trying to watch a ball game. He just wanted to get rid of me, you know, (laughs) and he looks up at me like, you know, like the the wifely shrew who was saying, what am I supposed to do? I was, you know, was literally standing over him like, tell me what I'm supposed to do. And he looks up at me and he says, you know what? Why don't you do that mobile billboard thing? And I looked up at him. Because he had said years earlier, uh, right after the campaign, that if he didn't already have an existing business, he knows he could make a fortune from the mobile billboard business. And there was just one guy with one truck in this town doing it. So I looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? Me? Do that? Don't be ridiculous. (laughs) That's ridiculous. And I went and sat down in my chair. And uh, the next thing I remember is he obviously went up to bed. It was like 2.30 in the morning. The house was quiet. And I literally had an entire business plan written out in my head. And I went upstairs and woke him up and said, call that guy tomorrow morning when you get up. I'm doing that business. And
0: that's what happened. All right. Okay. So you start the business Mm -hmm. and you scale this. What happens next? Because there are some challenges I've heard about. I want you to highlight those. And I know that ties into what you're doing now, but I also want to give listeners a visual because they don't have the privilege of looking at you right now. As I am, I want you to understand that Marla is petite and gorgeous and, and just beautiful and tiny, but she's doing this trucking, this trucking yeah. ad b- business. <laughs> right. Well, look, I, I started with these trucks. I knew
1: nothing about it. And um, the driver that was driving the one truck for the man who owned it before I did, Uh, came to me like I I took over in January and about the first week in February, there were high winds and he he came into the office and I said, what are you doing here? Well, first of all, I sold out the entire month of January on December 28th. So I had like $10,000 of income January 1st for all of January.
0: Who were these Uh, clients who needed ad space in these trucks? So I had car dealers at first, I had restaurants,
1: I had, um, oh my gosh, I had, um, Were you
0: literally just cold calling these people around Nevada?
1: Yeah. About around Las Vegas. Yeah. And people that I know, you know, when you go into sales, first you sell to your circle of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Influence. Of influence. And then once you expire all of that, then it's very scary to go out to the next level. And then you have to go out to the next level. And I was just um, unstoppable. I, I just kept going and going. And literally I got a hundred no's Until I, for every yes that I got. So every time I got a yes, I literally had gone through a hundred no's and I got really good about it. I would visualize myself like running through the streets of New York, asking every person I knew, did they need advertising? Did they need advertising? And at some point, once I got no, 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 I would get to the hundredth person and I would get a yes. I felt like, you know, those Dodger blow up dolls with the sand on the bottom, they go boom Mm -hmm. and they punch it down, and I'd come right back up, you know, right? Bounce back up and keep going, keep asking. Um, and so I, I, and I love the product. I believed in the product. I knew I could make a difference in people's businesses. So I had attorneys, I had restaurants, um, but my big goal was to get to casinos because they were using taxi tops at the time.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I
1: really changed the landscape of the Las Vegas Strip by using, by putting these mobile billboards onto the strip. Now, what happened is I started getting calls from, you know, I hate to say this out loud on such a podcast, but I started getting calls from strip clubs here in Las Vegas. And they wanted to be up on the mobile billboard. And I wouldn't do it. And I said, no, I, you know, and this one guy said, well, you know, he would give me honest to God, like he said, 10,000 a month, he'd give me 20,000, he'd give me 30,000, he'd give me 40,000, he'd give me 50,000. I mean, he wondered how high he would go before I'd say yes. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm too smart for that. And I, you know, there wasn't a price. There just wasn't a price. And, you know, once you say yes, also, there is a joke that goes along with that, which Mm -hmm. I won't put here. And I'm just not that person. So what he ended up doing, sadly, is to get back at me. He went and bought like five trucks and he put strip club, His uh, actually, it was girls to your rooms, escort services on. And that hurt my business because the resort corridor and Cirque du Soleil, and win Las Vegas, they were just starting to become my clients. Mm -hmm. And they saw the value of the mobile billboard being better than the taxi tops, because they could direct where the mobile billboard went, where on taxi tops, those go where the other customer wants them to go. Mm -hmm. Um, And that hurt my business. So my business took a big back step. But
0: it, it cheapened the product. Is that what happened? Like it, their perception
1: was. Right. Well, when Las Vegas uh, said to me, um, look, uh, there, I don't want to be on a product that escorts are on. Mm-hmm. And that's how everybody saw the product. So I had to overcome. Can you imagine me? And can I tell you this really funny story? Yes. So I was president of our synagogue at this point, right? So it's the high holidays and it's, you know, I'm sitting up on the Bima, and I see the largest donor to this synagogue who I adore this family. And I see her getting agitated and agitated and agitated. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, what is going on? And I see her looking at me and leaning over and talking to her brother.
0: Oh, and no. And
1: he says... I find out later, right after services, because she came up to me and told me the story. And she turns to her brother and says, look at that hypocrite, Marla Letizia, up on the Bima to be thinking that she's, you know, pretending like she's so pure up there, (laughs) which I'm not pure, but, you know, these are the words she said. And she's running these escort service advertisements up and down the Las Vegas Strip. Well, her brother, um, who is in business, was somebody that I pitched that told me no, that we had the conversation about the escort services, but he knew that I was more angry about it than she was. And so he was there in that moment to defend me to his sister. And so afterwards, she walked up to me and said, oh, my, I go, what is going on, Janie? Are you OK? And she then she tells me the story, which really still broke my heart nonetheless. I'm sure. But Yeah. Right. Can you imagine? Like I'm sitting up on the Bima and I'm so proud to be president of the synagogue. And then, you know, people are looking at me like, you know, it was a hard, it was a tough time to overcome that, but I, I did. And pretty soon when Las Vegas put Garth Brooks up, uh, Cirque du Soleil became my client. Um, You know, all the best of the best of the best really saw that a small taxi top, which is, you know, 18 inches by 36 inches, doesn't do what a mobile billboard 10 feet by 20 feet did right in front of the very audience that they need to buy tickets every day. So no, and, but, so, yeah. sorry, and so, so yeah, and through that business from one truck to 17 trucks at its height.
0: Okay. So that's okay. where I was. I was going to get a little bit granular on the business model. Are you renting these trucks? You're leasing no. them or you're inv- you're investing in these I trucks? I bought them. And then yeah. you have drivers
1: yep. and
0: the rest of your t- staff. And so what
1: are we... And, just- and let me just say this about uh, Jewish Money Matters, okay? Mm-hmm. So uh, imagine that... Uh, so the business model is not so great because... Um, you have to have a large cash flow to be able to run this company, and let me tell you why. Because I had to pay for the gas, I had to pay for the driver payroll, mm-hmm. all before the campaign had ended. And strip resorts pay in ninety days, mm-hmm. so I'm fronting ninety days worth of money for um, for this product. Well, you know, I was a very voracious collector. And I was able to actually get the strip resorts to pay much sooner Mm -hmm. because we pre-build everything. And then we'd give them a credit at the end of the month. And once you get into the system, so I was actually collecting in 30 days, which was unheard of, but I'm I'm really good at that. I just want to throw that out there because money is an important thing and I happen to be really good at it.
0: Yeah. So I I was going to say- In business
1: anyway, not so much in my personal life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what what kind of profit margins are we talking about here? I mean, what-
1: what was this? So there is no barrier to entry, right? Like you don't have to have a special license to run a mobile billboard company. So, what happened is I was the only one in, in business, but about the time I had seven trucks and about the time that the escort services hit the streets, <laughs> that, I know what a thing to say on such a podcast. Um, I, um, uh, other people st- saw the the business being and the type of clientele that I had. So I suddenly had three, four new companies come into the uh, business. And what happened is they were selling price. So I had to lower prices. So at one point I was selling for about $90 an hour when I started. And when I sold the company, it had gone down to $17 an hour.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: Huge, huge, huge huge. That is huge. It is. Well, you know, think about even TV. So media is extremely fragmented. Mm -hmm. So in the early years of television, if you were selling news, news was selling for maybe $900 for 30 seconds. You can buy news now because it's so fragmented. Television, you know, that golden age of success with television, they're selling news right now at 20 and 30 dollars Mm -hmm. for 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, Super Bowl is still up there 2 million for 30 seconds, but it's a one-time live thing. You know, you can't record it and then watch it later because you know who wins no matter where you are. Right. Um, So that fragmentation and the fact that there was no barrier to entry actually drove down the revenue. And it was for me, no longer fun either, because I love making money, but I was so tied to it. And this, I would say to everybody, listen, um, you cannot emotionally get connected to a business because Mm. there's a time to start it and there's a time to sell it. And if you don't know when, it's like buying a stock. You gotta know when to buy them, when to hold them, when to sell them, right? It's like poker here in Las Vegas. Gotta know when to hold them, gotta know when to fold them. And um, I didn't see it. I did, I held on to it because it was my baby.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was my child when my kids went off to college. And so when settled.
0: do you wake up to the reality it's time to let go of this? So uh
1: right. So in twenty twelve, so my husband was very lucky uh in, in his advertising business. He was handling all of the Hyundai Dealers Association in um the South Central United States, South Central. So Houston, mm-hmm. um, Dallas, all the way to Florida. And the account was basically a $36 million account. Now when we started it, we were making, he was making in his company a full 15%. And by the way, we had combined companies at some point throughout all of this. But at one point, um, he was making the full advertising agency commission of 15%. Mm-hmm.
0: 2008
1: hits by 2010, the Hyundai dealers association is saying, look, we're going to pull the account unless you lower your price. Wow. we you know, you've got to go from 15%. You've got to go down to 12%. Then you've got to go down to 10%. Then they were grinding at eight and a half percent. Now, That's how ad agencies make their money, usually at full 15%. Well, here's what happened, is that at $36 million, at 8.5%, you're not making money. Because what happens is what we had to do to push out 36 spots a quarter, we still needed the human capital to get it out the door. So when we started cutting, we could not cut... The personnel, which was our largest okay. cost once yes. we got done. So we, um, and then on top of that, it was a perfect storm, El. On top of that, we had a computer software meltdown in 2011, uh, in 2010, by the way, that we didn't discover until uh, February of 2011. So what happened is our financials showed us being highly profitable in all of 2010. So we made decisions.
0: Stop. Right?
1: In February of 2010, we made decisions in February of 2010 that, you know, in in June of 2010, we made decisions to take that money, reinvest that money, right? right, right. So as they're pulling our financials for the March 15th uh, IRS deadline, it's not tying out and nobody can figure it out. And what they realize is that the software had corrupted at the beginning of '11 at the beginning of 10, by the the way, and they needed to go back and they needed to do a forensic accounting and they had to recreate every single transaction in 2010. This sounds
0: like the worst nightmare ever, like worse than getting audited by the IRS. This is like... (laughs) I know, I know, I know,
1: but I, you know, I didn't think we weren't profitable. I just thought it was a problem, but we did it took them four and a half months to, it took them four and a half months to do this. And by Labor Day weekend, August, right? We didn't find out what happened in 2010 until August of 2011. So let me tell you what happened in 20. Well, one minute. Wait, let me tell you what happened in 2010. Yeah. We lost $3 million.
0: Okay. It's a lot. That is a lot of money. We were
1: profitable up until 2010. That's how badly we were off. And at the same time, they were cutting us from it. You look so pain. It's over. We made it through. I'm hurting. You're so I know. I know you're hurting. It it's, was like, it's like here in my stomach. Yeah. Yeah. It was, re- I mean, can you imagine the shock and the dread? So now we start laying people off, trying to retool. The fact is we got scared to death. And in our fears, we made some really bad mistakes because our fears were showing to this big client right? We were, we were acting desperate and they could feel it and they could feel something was off. And our fears created an environment, which caused that client to fire us in February of 2012.
0: Oh no, please tell me this is not going to get worse.
1: (laughs) You know, we struggled and struggled and struggled to, um, to hold on. We did everything you know you're not supposed to do, but it seems like it's gonna work. You cash in your 401k to make payroll. And by the way, everyone who works for you knows what's going on and they're angry about it and they're all jumping ship and they don't really care that you had to cash in your 401k and you kind of do it so people will know and still like you and they won't. They won't. They won't, They're, they're angry and they don't like you anyway. Um, And they're not going to like you no matter what. Uh, So, you know, that was a tough one for us. Um, uh, We, unfortunately, I know this sounds horrible, Yael, but uh, I did not understand secured debt and unsecured debt. So um, our unsecured debt was credit cards and it was the media companies. But working at the media companies were media reps who if we didn't pay our media bill, excuse me, it still chokes me. (laughs) If we didn't pay our media bills, those people would lose their commissions and they were big commissions. Hmm. And so I thought, well, you know, the credit card companies aren't going to get hurt if they don't get their, you know, 500,000, but these reps in Alabama are going to really be hurting. And so we paid those the unsecured media because it seemed like the right thing to do like it was the ethical moral thing to do and at this point we weren't even seeking counsel yet um so uh and then i met with my banker we got ourselves profitable and i went and met with my banker i took him to lunch and said hey i just want to tell you we lost the 36 million dollar account but look, we're already profitable. I just want you to know because we've got all these loans with you and um, I, I don't want to keep this as a secret. Oh my God, so stupid. The next day, yeah, the next day, this is crazy because I haven't thought about this in so long. And I see myself on video that I'm smiling. <laughs> I can tell you I was, <laughs> that I could tell this story and have a smile on my face is amazing. They call us the next day My banker's on a three-way call with this guy at the bank Mm -hmm. whose name, not his name, but he was in the special assets department. So he says in such a gruff bean voice, you need to come down here and get your husband and you need to meet with us. You know, this is... um, H- hairy and special assets and i'm thinking to myself something's not connecting mm-hmm. because special and assets are two good words i'm thinking i've never heard of special assets and i'm thinking those are two good words so why is it that he sounds so mean and why is it that he sounds like he wants to like kill me <laughs> yeah and so i said okay i said assets especially I I, I I kept saying wait a minute this is not connecting special assets. That sounds good, but you sound bad. So what is special assets? And he says, it's the bad debt department. I said, bad debt? We don't have any bad debt. What are you talking about? Because we, cur- we were still current with everything. So my husband gets off an airplane and we get in the car. We go to the bank. We walk in at two o'clock. Now, this is the funniest thing you've ever heard in your life. We were like special Clients of the bank. Every time we went in, we were we were in the private banking. We were in private banking. So every time, like we could wine, bank, champagne, cappuccino, yeah, the glass, the 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 china, the crystal, the, you know, the service, the everything. So you know, I'm expecting to go meet special assets in the same place, but they gave us a different address. But I figured we're still in private banking. We end up in a room without windows with banker's boxes stacked to the top all around us with these two thugs that literally look like they we're going to take baseball bats to our knees. And they proceed to tell us that they have taken and seized all of our liquid financial- Credit. Yeah, all of our assets. Like they took all the cash that we had, um, both personally and- um,
0: Oh no! And
1: business-wise because- when you sign for those loans, that's what you're signing. So imagine all these years right. in business, uh, you know, and I didn't even know about uh, credit uh, credit scores
0: mm-hmm. because I never had to know about
1: credit scores.
0: Yeah. And ju- just to clarify for people, basically what happened here is that lender came first. <laughs> <laughs> and Marla and her husband paid everybody else first thinking it's yes. all good. We've caught our costs. Now we can manage a leaner business. Our right. credit lines will remain open. It's all great. And the bank is like, no way we're taking mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And um, so they sue us. and, oh, but interestingly enough, believe it or well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to get to that. I, I don't know, but I, I do want to tell, one of the most important parts of this story, which is the part I think that interests you. Um, we did settle with the bank and okay. um, and they settled with us. Well, let me tell you why they settled with us. So I'm going to tell you this part of the story. One month before February of 2012 in January, the Lion of Judah luncheon for Jewish Federation was, and I am treasurer of the board and i um, Uh, I go to this luncheon and my pledges had been increasing over the years and it was my pleasure to do that. And I made a big jump from a $6,000 a year donor um, to 10,000 a year, I became a Ruby Lion. And I was so honored to do that. And I was because I believe in giving 10% to Sadaka no matter what. And throughout all of our years of being together, we always, always gave Mm sadaka. And it was always 10%. Now, what happened to me in that 10% is that I'm raised here in Las Vegas. And um, most of this community, uh, there were only 25,000 people living here when I moved here at the age of two years old. And all of the people that we lived around, you know, there was a handful of Jews and just about everybody else was Mormon. And it was a very well-known thing that Mormons give 10% to the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I remember in high school, in junior high, everybody talked about it. And and we used to kind of in, in our own way, when we were young, make fun of the whole idea of that because we didn't understand as, you know, young children, um, That, you know, what, you have to give the church 10%. What is that all about, right? So I had been a few, uh, really in the the late 80s, I had gone to a a luncheon, a federation luncheon, and the co-chair got up to do the appeal. Mm -hmm. And she told a story that we are commanded as Jews to tithe 10% Mm -hmm. to, you know, to God, basically, to the Almighty. And I remember sitting there and turning to the next, the person next to me and saying, that comes from us. I thought that was a Mormon thing. I had no idea it was a Jewish thing. And when I heard that, it inspired me beyond anything. And my husband and I have made a commitment since that day that we always give 10%. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, and he gives, so this was my pledge, but he also gives to those things that he loves. So here I was at this big $10,000 donor. I was so happy. I'm treasurer of the board of Jewish Federation, not of the women's division, but the full board. And I'm like, oh my God, uh, how am I ever going to pay this pledge? This is horrible. Like, I I mean, it's not bad enough that I have to pay these bank loans, but I give money to Federation because they give money to people that are in such need. And I, I, I want to be able to help those. And I'm still in the desperate straits that I'm in. Right. I still have a home and a a car. And each week I didn't know how we were going to pay our Trader Joe's grocery bill, but each week I was able to pay my Trader Joe's grocery bill. I don't know. And so I asked the CEO of Federation to go out with me for lunch. And I said to him, Elliot, I tell him the story of what's going on. And I said, I cannot afford to pay this pledge as big as it is on a monthly basis right now. But we meet every week. And I'm going to give you a check for $25 every week until I can afford to give you $50, until I can afford to give you more and more and more, because I want you to know I'm not walking away from this pledge. I just want you to know that paying it right now is difficult, but I want to show good faith. So that's what I'm going to do. So every week, Yael, I would show up and I would hand him a check for 25 bucks. He'd open it up and look at it and then he'd close it. He always kind of made a face, but it's okay. I knew I was doing the right thing. Um. And then a couple of months into that, like it went up to $50. Mm-hmm. And then a few weeks after that, it went up to $100 a week because we were starting to turn the corner okay. and I, not really turn the corner, but we were, we were getting income. We were still being sued by the bank. We were still, you know, it was still a mess. We but were you're getting
0: income at this point from from your you husband's know, business, not from big traffic or well, big traffic
1: got lumped into all of this. And so the monies all got combined because we had to pay off the, the bank. And, you know, because my accounts were at the bank where his accounts were, and we both signed. So they took all big traffic's money too. It wasn't okay. just, you know, everything just went because we were the guarantors for everything, but you're both signing clients.
0: So there is some
1: revenue. There's coming. revenue coming, okay, but, but we, we had to take so much of it to try to, I mean, when the bank took everything, For sure. everything was going to payroll, right? I understand. What we needed yeah. to keep the business going. So a little by little by little, we went from, I went from a hundred dollars and 125, 150 to 250. And then it was 500. And I said to him, because what I used to do is take my pledge and pay my pledge 500 a month. Uh, you know, or, you know, 500 twice a month. And I felt like I was there. And finally I said, here's a check for $500. I'm no longer going to do this every week. I'm back to my monthly whatevers. And uh, I did get the whole thing paid off. Um, I was three months late by the end of the year. I think I finally got it all paid off. Um, Not by December 31st as I should have, but by March 30th.
0: Um, so when do you decide I'm getting rid of this part of the business and your husband is staying with his? So in
1: 2012, we had to shut down my husband's business and he had to, he actually went to work for another company for two years. Um, and I sold 50% of big traffic to a partner, Mm -hmm. um, in order to keep that going. Cause it was really the cash cow at that point on its own. But what happened is I chose a very bad partner. Aye. And, um, and so at the end of the day, he sold it out from underneath me without me even knowing it. Oh my is, gosh. Which then put me in an employee in, in, into an employee position. And so there was this whole turd situation that occurred and I just walked in one day and again, this was like, I knew, like I knew, like I knew, like the ceiling parted, the light came in and God said, it is time for you to go. And I knew that I did. I never, my husband was out of town. I didn't even tell him. Mm. And I walked in and uh, I evicted them from the property that we owned and I left the company and... um
0: And that was that. And so when does the passion for cooking come in? Because you told me privately that this wasn't necessarily your thing as you were raising your kids. And today, this is what (laughs) you love to do. We see you every day on Facebook Live. So enthusiastic, so passionate. How does this fit into this whole super- drawn out business challenge, because it wasn't something that we're talking about two years, basically, maybe a little bit more between the beginning of this story until then you partner with somebody. And then you have to that whole last drama, you just told me it's a long time to be in pretty rocky situations. What's the situation with the cooking? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, um, so my kids used to cry every night when I cooked growing up when they went off to college. And I said, oh, you're, and I would cook every night because I wanted them to have home cooked meals. I didn't want to go through the drive-through. I, you know, I wanted to be like the picture perfect mom, but my kids would literally cry every night at how horrible it was. And when they came home from college, I said,
0: oh, what
1: do you want me to make you for your first night home? Oh, can we go out mom? I mean, it, it was just, you know, it was horrible. And they used to make fun of me and their, friends would come for dinner and their friends would make fun of me. And it was just, I know, I never had a cookbook and I didn't know how to use a cookbook and I didn't have resources to like, I thought I was supposed to make up recipes in my head and I just didn't have the resources. So, but I always liked to entertain and I always wanted to have people around the table and I wanted people in my home. They just didn't like to eat what I made. (laughs) It was... It's the truth. But you you run your trucking up business? Hey, I was was a wizard trucks, let me tell you. And if that generator went out, I knew exactly how to replace the generator. I could (laughs) tell everybody exactly that, you know, batteries uh, do not act the same in cold weather as they do in warm weather. And you just dump that battery. I mean, listen, you know, check those tires because when it's hot, they expand. Listen, I was definitely the mechanical whiz of the company. No one could believe it, but I was. Okay. So (laughs) are you learning things about me you didn't know?
0: I I am. I'm amazed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So your kids are not loving your dinners. They've made it very clear. So what happened?
1: So- after I sold the company or yeah, walked out on the company or left the company, and made it very clear, you know, you're not going to like put knives in my back and I'm not going to sit here and still work for you while you're doing this. I don't need you that badly. Um, I, I was um, a, a campaign chair of Federation by this point, and And um, I had an opportunity to go to Israel. And so two months after I left the company. I really, I actually went to Israel and it was a renewal. I mean, really and truly, I don't want to get choked up here, but just being there for that during that time um, was, I was such a lost soul. Like I didn't know what my next move was. Mm -hmm. I didn't know where I was going. And the pain of all of that was still very, very, very much with me.
0: I can imagine
1: and um, it just so happened uh, that it was 2014 when I went. And so we landed in Tel Aviv one hour after the Gaza war started. Mm. And um, it was so unbelievable to me. Um, I, I, the first morning we woke up, and uh, the sirens went off and I ended up in a bomb shelter in the hotel. And um, it, it just, we spent, you know, five days there in bomb shelters three and four times a day. And um, I, I got to really understand, it's funny, I've never said this and acknowledged this out loud before, but in those moments, I really got to acknowledge the priorities of what life really is all about. And, you know, businesses are not things that you're supposed to be emotionally attached to. Um, and um, and sadly, on Shabbat, I was in Jerus- Jerusalem at the David um, Citadel and I was sitting out on the balcony, eating my lunch, watching all the kids in the pool. Um, they were so happy in it. You know how quiet Jerusalem is on Shabbat. It just it was the most, beautiful moment. And, um, the sirens went off and within I, like I, I couldn't get off the balcony because I watched children and their families like spread like cockroaches. When you turn the light on, you know, they, they, they flew out of that pool and, and, and within 30 seconds there was nobody. And I, I stood on that balcony. For another thirty seconds, and just looked at it and absorbed what was going on for these people, and for the sanctity of Shabbat, which was so intentional, we knew. And I, I, the bomb, the uh, staircase, this, the fire escape was right across from my door. So all I had to do was open the door, open my door, open that door, and go in, and I knew I was safe. So I had the time. And I went down, I had to go down three flights of stairs because I was too high up. You have to go down uh, during that time. And um, uh, I sat down and started crying for the first time. Like up until then I didn't, but the, just the, the ruination of Shabbat and all those families and the peace of all that that, that just really shook me to my to my core.
0: Has your home taken a backseat during this pandemic and you really need to start decluttering and simplifying things so that you can come into Passover with ease and grace? Balagan Begun comes to the rescue with a 36-day painless Pesach decluttering challenge. For $36, yes, that's a dollar a day, you will get a daily email with a decluttering challenge that takes 15 to 30 minutes to execute, a video explaining what to do, no more than two minutes long, a workbook to keep you on schedule and organized, access to power hours, and so much more. Head over to jewishlatinprinces.com forward slash 36 days that's the number 36 days and join today challenge starts february 14 let's get our homes and ourselves ready for passover head over to com forward slash 36 days are you looking for a career path that is flexible satisfying and well-paying do you have a knack for psychology you're good with words and you're fearless when it comes to tech digital marketing sounds cool That's because it is. And guess what? You can learn to build a digital marketing career without studying for four years, compromising on your values, or working for peanuts. Odeo Academy is the professional and comprehensive way for uber smart, creative women to move into the fun, fulfilling, and lucrative industry of digital marketing without going to college, drowning in debt, or leaving your home. Check it out at odeoacademy.com. Forward slash JLP, and be sure to use the code JLP at checkout to claim a hundred dollars off. But hurry! Audio Academy starts March first. Audio is O D E O. Head over to audioacademy.com forward slash JLP and enter the code JLP at checkout to receive a hundred dollars off.
1: When I got back, my daughter was pregnant and we celebrated the birth of my granddaughter on December 3rd of that year of 2014. And it just, I was very, 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 very close with my grandmother. Do you know how I got the name Nanny Bubby? This might be kind of, you don't want to know? No, I want to know. know?
0: I I don't know. So I want to know.
1: Okay. So my grandmother, I called Nanny and she and I were very, 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 very close. My great-grandmother was Bubby and she was alive until I was 35 years old, I think.
0: Wow. You're so lucky. I know. We
1: had five generations on this planet when my children were born and oh. until my children were like eight years old. Yeah. Anyway, I couldn't decide, like, am I going to be nanny or am I going to be Bubby? Am I going to be nanny or am I going to be Bubby? And I couldn't make a decision. And... Um, so three days, here we go back to spiritual. Well, I'm already a very spiritual being by this point. Three days before my granddaughter's born, my grandmother comes to me in my dream. And with her is her sister, Hazel, who has never visited me in my dream before. And, and your I, grandmother used to visit you in your dreams? Well, I mean, I've had, I've, I, you know, maybe two other times. Oh, oh my I goodness. Could, I could feel her presence, you know, okay. I could feel her presence and in this dream. Okay. Um, or, or actual, you know, I, I can't question it. It just right. it felt so real, right? It was a dream. It didn't happen before my eyes. I was asleep, but um, Nanny, how are you? Oh my gosh. What is Auntie Hazel doing here with you? And she says to me, well, um, we So my chin, I have a really deep cleft in my chin. And all my life, I grew up hearing that I had Auntie Hazel's chin because Auntie Hazel was the only one in the family who had this chin. And I have this chin. And Nanny says to me, well, Auntie Hazel is here because we want to tell you that you will know that we sent your granddaughter to you because she is going to also have Auntie Hazel's chin. And, and... She is going to call you nanny bubby. So at this point, I'm like, I know I get chills. At this point, I'm like, am I nanny or am I bubby? Am I nanny or am I bubby? Am I nanny or am I bubby? They say, you will know that we sent her to you because she will have Aunt Hazel's chin and she will call you nanny bubby. And then somehow I have presence of mind and it disappears, right? Mm -hmm. Three days later, they roll that baby down the hallway and I take off like a bandit towards that bassinet as they're rolling it down the hallway. And I throw those covers off that baby. And sure enough, she's got my chin. Wow. And And I thought, well, I think I better be named Nanny Bubby. That's how I got that name.
0: Wow, 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 wow. Okay, so now your granddaughter is born. And do you start cooking for her and perfecting well, those skills that you were kind of like not appreciated by your family before? What's happening? So what happened is because
1: I didn't have a business and because I had the time and my daughter is a judge, um, I made a commitment. Like I couldn't think of anything better to do with my life than to be there the first year of my granddaughter's life. So I said I would care for her every day, which, you know, this like dynamic businesswoman says, Hey, that was all good. I only that was in place of my children. And now there's a new child in this family. I'm going back to this. And
0: and it's like, you're doing it again. You did it with your children. Now you're doing the same thing again. This is incredible. Yes. Yes. And so I, every day she would wake up
1: and she would have, she would have a bottle at two o'clock, you know, in the afternoon, my daughter would pump and we had frozen. So I would use that. And so every day at two o'clock, I would sit down and feed her from her nap. Well, I didn't want to put on um, the news because I didn't want there to be bad energy in the room. I didn't want to, you know, whatever. And my daughter had the food network on when she was in labor. And so I thought, well, I'll just turn on the food network. That is a really pleasant, even, you know, whatever. Well, at two o'clock every day, Barefoot Contessa Ina Garden would come (laughs) on. And I would sit there and I would be absolutely mesmerized by what she was doing. And I didn't know that there was cooking like this ever, even though my heart and my soul desperately, obviously wanted it. I didn't know the resource to find what my heart and soul had been looking for, for most of my life. Mm. And so literally, I, I would sit there and feed that baby and I would watch Ina Garden and I would weep. Like I, from, the, from the beauty of the food and what she was doing, I would start crying from the beauty of it all. Then literally I started waking up at two in the morning thinking about what I had seen the day before that she had cooked. Well, in Las Vegas, our grocery stores are open 24 hours a day. And at two in the morning, I get up And I get in my car and I'd be like, oh my God, I got to make that leg of lamb today. And I would go to the grocery store and I would buy a leg of lamb (laughs) or whatever else it was that woke me up at three in the morning. And I would come home and I would just start cooking. And by about April or May of 2015, I realized I could cook. I was entertaining. I, I, I had people over, I was feeding my family. My kids were like, Oh my God, what has happened to you? This is
0: amazing. And what is Tom saying about all this? Is he like happy as can be like what happened to my wife? This is great. Yes.
1: Because he's a big eater. He loves to eat. He <laughs> loves to eat. Yes. And he also saw how happy I was. And Neither one of us had healed from our unhappiness. And so the joy that I was finding in all of this helped to bring joy to him as well. Mm. And um, and now we really think about it because, you know, we got through our lawsuits. We got through everything. We didn't file bankruptcy. We were able to satisfy. I, I did negotiate. I'm going to tell you. I did negotiate for nine months with 85 creditors. Wow. For... $3 million of debt that I, I I figured I would have a better job, uh, a better chance of negotiating that debt than a judge who would look at it and stamp his gavel and say, everybody gets 10%. I knew who would deal with 10%. I knew who needed 80% to survive. And I made those deals. And I'm, I am very, I think it's one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life, that decision, as hard as it was, and it was horrible. Wow. The- they people hate you when you owe them money and they call you terrible things. And I had to say, Yes, I know, I know you think that's what I am, but I'm really not. And I, I just want to make this good. So I'll call you back in two days. And I at twelve o'clock and I would call them not at eleven fifty-nine or twelve oh one, but I'd call them exactly twelve o'clock and try to negotiate it again until they called me names and then I'd say, I'll call you back in two days again and you know, on and on. But it took nine months and
0: I did get it done. I did get it done. My goodness. So now you're entertaining, you're cooking. Do you pitch a show to the network in Vegas? Like, where does a TV station come in? Well, all these years, we've
1: maintained amazing relationships with all the executives. I mean, these are people that I worked with in the early days who were just like two-bit employees, like I was. In fact, I was a higher-up employee than most of them. Um, but over time they stayed in the business and now these people were general managers or news directors or all these different things. And I, um, the general manager of channel eight, the CBS affiliate here, um, you know, see, again, this is kind of one of those heaven sent things. I mean, there's a lot of those moments in my life, Yael, that where I can feel the presence of God every day and the miracle of the almighty shining over me. And if I just take the moment and listen to what's going on, so much beauty walks into my life. It's when I'm struggling (laughs) to know the answers rather than opening up to hearing the answers. But um, I, I had this thought that maybe I would like to be on TV with this. And it was just kind of a lucky, well, let me see if I could talk to her about this. So I sent her an email and said, hey, Lisa, how would you like to get together for lunch? I'd love to see you. And I've got a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. Well, we sat down for lunch and she was having a really bad day. And we, um, I was just open to listening to her. And I said to myself, I'm not going to ask this question. Like, I'm not going to make this lunch about me right now. And so I was ready to let it go. hmm I, I just thought it was a stupid idea anyway. There's no way, she's no doubt she's gonna say no anyway. So what do I need to go through that for? So we're sitting there, lunch ends, and she says, By the way, wasn't there something you said you wanted to talk to me about? And I said, uh, you know, stutter, stutter, stutter. I go, well, yeah, but you know, I, I don't know if, you know, this is the right day or the right time, if I should bring it up. I mean, it's stuttering all over the place. You go, no, no, what, what is it? And I, so I said, well, you know, I've got this cooking and I'd really love to be on TV. And I don't know, maybe there's a place for me. Maybe there's not. I'm not sure. And she said, I think it's a great idea. I've seen you, you know, I was doing some Instagram, not lives, because that wasn't even around back uh, three years ago. It was more um, just shooting pictures and stuff. And uh,
0: I don't know, two weeks later, (laughs) hello, I debuted. Wow. Wow. That is super, super cool. All right. So what I'm going to do now is before I ask you, um, you know, who your audience is, what you're trying to achieve. Now that this is, this is blossoming. Nanny Bobby is, is, is is who you are. You're serving the world with this new skill, new, I shouldn't say new, but this, this newfound passion basically, right? It's it's a new skill for sure. (laughs) Well, actually, why don't you go ahead and tell us who are the women that you're trying to serve? And what are, what's, what are you trying to accomplish? Right. So, you know,
1: it's a funny thing because I always felt, and I still do feel that the the young woman like your age and, y- you know, younger with a family, if they have those dinner dreads, like I did when I was raising a family, you know, you've got to pick them up for school. You've got to go to this game. You've got to get to this, you know, after school activity. And what do you cook and how do you cook it? And, you know, how do I feed my family and not just feed them, but how do I nourish them? And so I really hold, that avatar of that woman in my mind. Mm. And when I cook on my daily Facebook live, I definitely am always, you know, uh, thinking of that person, that mother. Mm. But I also have found that there are a great number of people my age, and I was just turned 68 yesterday and i which oh my god that almost chokes me to even say that um because i can't believe it but nonetheless my generation of women and even men who have come to the ends of their careers or had business losses and rather than bouncing back up like that dodger doll they are lost and they don't know what to do and i have found that i am a voice for those that have hit an age and they, they have so much life left in them, but they feel like they're too old or that they are too, um, that the, the world has passed them by and they don't want to get up and, and find their new passion. They don't want to be reborn into what they were made to do, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, they spent years as a banker, but maybe they're a great artist, you know? Um, And so I really feel like I have become a voice for those who still have life, um, but are afraid to reinvent themselves. And I want to say you can, you can, nobody's had a greater loss than what I have had. Um, Well, I'm sure there are people, but it was a pretty big loss. And, but, you know, I found a passion and it filled me with joy and, and with that, it is added years to my life. And I am serving people. And so I think that I've been asked to, to speak um, for a, a woman's luncheon who um, are, most of them are retired. And that's going to be the the essence of my speaking. So I really have two two avatars that I feel like I'm speaking to. One is the young, the one, young mother and helping her not have the dinner dreads. And the other is the person of my, you know, generation, who I want
0: to reinvent themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So beautiful. So talking about women, is there somebody in your well, you talked about your, you talked about nanny and Bubby, but can you highlight things about maybe it's the two of them or both or one of them, or maybe it's your mother, I don't know, um, in your family or in could be Jewish history general, if you, if you will, a woman who's a Jewish woman, who's inspired you, who you've learned so much from.
1: Well, um, I will tell you that Carolyn Goodman, Mm -hmm. uh, who is our current mayor in Las Vegas, um, who is the wife of Oscar Goodman, whose campaign my husband also ran. She started, um, the first private school here in Las Vegas. And she started it uh, in 1984. Jewish private school? It is not. It was not, but she was on the board of the Jewish private, helped start the first Jewish private school. And then after that, she moved into this um, non-sectarian uh, uh, pr- private school, um, college, Pre- preparatory school. Mm-hmm. And she asked my husband and I to be on the board of that school. And I was on that board for 19 years. Whoa. Now, Carolyn, as the, the board chair, was one of the most dynamic women I have ever watched. The way she ran the board, the way that she had a vision and pushed towards it. And she's a Jewish woman, obviously. And everything, though she was not a very religious woman, there was so much about her that was um, ethics of the fathers. Mm. That everything that she did had just moral, ethical, non-compromising part about her. And I watched her like a hawk more than i ever realized i watched her. Wow. and when i became uh, president of our synagogue so i i finally resigned from the board after 19 years and um i happened to mention at a cocktail party with with our rabbi that i just finally resigned from the Meadows school. And I jokingly said, I have no idea what I'm going to do with my time. Now (laughs) the next day, Uh (laughs) they called me to be on our synagogue board. So, you know, there was that, but three years later I ended up board president. And when I ran my first board meeting, I could hear Carolyn like, like I wasn't myself. I was truly channeling her and the passion and the ethics and the inclusivity that I knew and watched her give. Um, and then also carried that over to board chair of uh, Jewish Nevada, uh, Las Vegas's Jewish Federation. Beyond that, I will have to say that I believe that Golda Meir is one of the greatest women in history. Mm. Um, and I I look at her leadership um, as I do Margaret Thatcher, who was not Jewish, but both those women cooked while they were prime ministers.
0: Whoa. And you would know that. I did not know that. Yes. Especially more Margaret
1: Thatcher than Golda Meir. my ear, but Margaret Thatcher would come home every day and walk into the kitchen of number 10 Downing street and literally cook for her and her husband. And she would have cabinet members over and she would cook for them. And it was her way of really taking control by actually, you know, women today look at being in the kitchen as demeaning, you know, I'm educated, I'm, uh, you know, I can do anything, but you're not going to catch me in the kitchen because I'm too important for that. Mm. And I used to feel that way too. I'm smart and educated. I'm too important to end up in the kitchen every day, even though I wanted to, I just still had an attitude about it, right? Right. Margaret Thatcher looked at her cooking for the men that she was around and leading as her way of controlling them and taking no. control of them. <laughs> and I can see how that happens because there's a graciousness of response that comes from people who eat from your pots,
0: hmm.
1: from that which you serve. And um, I, I literally have felt... Uh, in my own desire to take control of the business situation, like with Federation and some board meetings, I would have them in my home and I would cook for everybody that was coming because I would feel the need to control in a way that was more covert than overt. And I think sometimes as women, we feel like we have to be overt about everything, but I do not believe that there is a time for overtness. There's no doubt about it. You know, we don't need to be with our aprons and afraid to open our mouths. God only knows I'm one to open my mouth as well. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but there is a time to control very covertly, and I will tell you that the kitchen is a great place to take that control.
0: Hmm. Wow,
1: hmm. I've never said that out loud before. <laughs> I,
0: I, I like I like what I'm hearing. Yeah, this use that feminine energy as much as you can. And when you need to pull out that masculine energy, for sure, go for it. But the, don't don't discount that we have this, <laughs> the feminine yeah. energy is quite yes. useful. But so- what Golda
1: Meir was able to accomplish still is our very first Prime Minister of Israel, mm-hmm. female Prime Minister of, of Israel is really when you read about her and her life, like accomplishment, unbelievable. That's mm-hmm. the kind of strength that I hope I channeled when I had to call 85 creditors and negotiate with them.
0: I, I, be, I believe you did. <laughs> now, let me ask you this, Marla, and we're going to, we're really short on time. I'm going to wrap it up soon. What do the words, a joyful, richer Jewish life mean to you? What, it, what it comes to mind when you hear that?
1: Well, to start with, first of all, just hearing the words make me cry. Mm. Like I feel so touched by those words. Um, giving Mm. is like the first thing. When I think of a more joyful Jewish life, I think of tzedakah. Mm. I think of doing for those and being there for those who cannot be there for themselves. You know, whether it's family members or, you know, those out in the community. Um, I'm very proud that I was able to go back to that big pledge years later and continue that um, for sure. It also means... Shabbat, you know, when my granddaughter was born, um, there's an Orthodox rabbi here in town that I'm very close with. And he said to me, I said, I just really want to be seen as the best Jewish grandmother that I possibly can. I want my granddaughter to look back and to know that I brought that Jewishness into her life. Her father is not Jewish. And so, you know, there, there can be some disconnect there. And he said, Marla, if you do nothing else, Hmm. light Shabbat candles with her every Friday and make challah if there is nothing else. And so for her first five years of life, literally when she was two years old, we started making challah together and she learned her prayers and, you know, so for me, if nothing else, um, there's so much. Listen, we're, we're so dense of a ritualistic people. Um, but when I think about it, Shabbat really is that thing.
0: Hmm. Yep. And with that, why don't I coronate you with my JLP fill in the blanks, which I know you're familiar with because you said you're an avid listener. So ready for these? Yep. All right. I'm Marla Leticia and I feel most spiritual when when I meditate every day and journal.
1: Yes. When I meditate
0: and journal. Very nice. Is there like a particular way to journaling that you're fond of or are you just like free writing?
1: Mine switches and changes up all the time. Like Uh I, it's, it's sometimes I think, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. And then other times I'm like, wow, what just came out just now. Wow. So it's, my, my meditations, and it's the same with meditation. You sit there, you sit there, you sit there day after day after day. And then all of a sudden one day, like the sky parts and, you know, there's the red sea and there's God yelling in your ear.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm a big fan of journaling and the mornings that I don't do it, um, Well, I shouldn't say the morning. It's not like it's not something I do early in the morning. I actually pray in the morning, take care of the kids. But before I sit on my desk to actually open the computer and get going, I take time with my notebook to journal. And when I don't do it, my day doesn't go as well. So, (laughs) but are you journaling all the things you need to do in that day? Or are you just no, I'm just forcing myself to just journal and inevitably, kind of like meditation, then then I will, I will like gravitate to turning this into a to-do list. And sometimes I just let it flow into a to-do list. And sometimes I say, no, I just, I don't need to write a to-do list now. I've, I already know what I need to do today. So it's very interesting. All right. I'm Mar, uh, my favorite mitzvah or one that I connect with the most is? Oh, wow. I have to
1: think about that. My favorite mitzvah
0: is serving, is serving the community.
1: Really it is. So that I've been able to be president of a synagogue and help it grow. We open, I was president, we opened up our very first large campus that we now have still and um, being board chair, chairman of the board for Jewish Federation of Las Vegas, Jewish Nevada. um, And, and drilling down and seeing where the black holes were not being served. That was the, and also, the greatest mitzvah in the in those uh, jobs, if you will, is also having the opportunity to give somebody an ear. You know, the person that mm-hmm. nags and complains constantly that nobody returns their call and nobody wants to listen to because it's the fifth time. Mm-hmm. But. Nobody's giving them the answer. So they keep asking. And the greatest mitzvah for me was to take that maybe 10 of those people throughout my career of serving on those boards, listening, and actually getting the answer or explaining the answer in a way that they were contented with.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Fa- validating those humans, like somebody's here to hear you out, right? Right. Giving them that, right. that space, honoring Right their presence. And during
1: that time, there was not even one person who, who wasn't grateful and then continued on and, you know, berating everyone, like everyone, I felt like I had satisfied everyone. And that was a great feeling.
0: Hmm. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is
1: Jewish summer camp.
0: Oh, that's such a good answer. Yes.
1: I am the Jew I am today. Listen, we moved to Las Vegas when I was two years old. Divorced mother of, you know, uh, the my father's side of the family, Orthodox Jews, nothing but rabbis. Um, and, you know, that he got divorced from my mother was ter- <clears throat> terrible for him. It was terrible on our side of the family. Um, my mother was a cocktail waitress. She married my stepfather. My dad, my, my real dad, was killed in an airplane accident. So, oh, my she- My stepfather uh, adopted me and um, everybody's Jewish, but they're all secular Jews. I knew from nothing, Yael. I knew from nothing. I knew about cocktail waitresses and going to see, you know, Louis Prima and Keeley Smith at a a dinner show and how to tip a maitre d', but I didn't know what Shabbat was. Mm -hmm. And um, my parents sent me away at the age of 12 years old, which I, I screamed and cried and screamed and cried um, because they were having marital problems. And, you know, I could feel that I was being sent away and I was very upset about it. And it was the greatest gift I ever got because they mm-hmm. sent me to Jewish summer camp. And there, I mean, when I heard the Vea when I heard the English translation of the Veyahafta for the very first time, that poem to me it's poetry that poem when i read it was my very first prayer where i felt a connection to god Mm. and my entire jewish summer camp experience so i then i begged to go back year after year after year after year and um so yeah that's it i am the jew i am today because of Jewish summer camp. And so if anybody asks you to give to Jewish summer camp, think of me because I am a direct result of of that process
0: i i am with you on this one i really firmly believe i tell anybody that i whenever this conversation comes up what a good jewish camp can achieve no jewish day can do what 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 can how how a good a well-run jewish camp can light up the soul of a child in a way that you cannot do it inside a classroom it is the best investment that parents well Listen, Jewish education, I'm not knocking it. Everybody should enroll their children in Jewish education. But Jewish day camp or Jewish overnight camp, I feel it's not a luxury. I feel it's a necessity in education. That's my, (laughs) I'm going to get flagged for that. But I do feel very strongly that it can form a child's identity in a way that it is extremely powerful. So something I wish I had learned about Judaism growing up is... Well, I,
1: wow, just about everything, Mm -hmm. just about everything growing up, right? Right. Right. But I really do believe that um, sadaka is the path to success and it is the path to your own heart. It is a path to blessings shining upon you. Mm -hmm. And I wish that I had heard that not just Mormons give 10%, but that Jews are commanded to as well. I wish that I had learned that at Jewish summer camp, which I did not. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that as Jews, we don't spend enough time owning that 10%. Mm -hmm. I I think your definition of it in the podcast, which is why I became a binge listener of your podcast, Yael, is because you really talk about that. Mysore? is that how you say it? Maaser, yes. maaser, and um, and you actually probably know where in the Torah that is mentioned. It's mm-hmm. is it Isaiah or where where is it at?
0: No, well it it's from many many sources that we take. It's it's an agricultural mitzvah originally. It's called maaser kesafim. We take we take a tenth percent of our argu- agricultural produce, mm-hmm. and that translates into everyday life into our income. Which by the way, the forefathers. I just taught this class an hour ago, the forefathers, everybody should know Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, it says very clearly in the Torah that they took a 10% of what they own. And not only that, it also says that they become became very wealthy. So if anybody ever wants to find proof for that Talmud where it says when you tithe, you will become wealthy. This is seen in modern times. And this has been seen since the times of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And you
1: tithe before you, you know it, it. It's you don't say, oh, once I become wealthy, I'll give. No, no,
0: no, no, no. 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 You tie the
1: opposite,
0: of course. Yes, yes, yeah. This is totally my my thing. Like I, I'm like a I'm a, 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 a meister evangelist, if you will. I am too. <laughs> That's where we connect. I feel so strongly about it. I, I do, too. I do, too. All right. When I give tzedakah, which we just talked about, i like to give to I think you've given us a number of places. But what's one thing that well, you? certainly
1: Jewish summer camp, but I do that through Federation because mm-hmm. Federation is the overall umbrella that makes sure those dollars go to where they're supposed to go. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. and I also want to um, just recognize Jewish Federation for how much support they give families. Mm -hmm. that needs scholarship for Mm -hmm. their children to go to Jewish Federation. And if people do not know that that is a resource in, in your city that you should tap into, they are more than happy, To help you with scholarships, that's 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 why they're there. I mean, they're there for many reasons, but I'm saying people should really um, should really really look at them as uh, a a source because they're glad to do it and they do a beautiful job of helping with scholarships. And how about
1: what they did during the Houston floods? Mm -hmm. How Federation
0: came in and what they provided at that point. For sure. Absolutely. Magnificent work. Okay. Finally, I'm Marla Leticia. And today I'm most grateful for my life, mm. my life, my
1: family, my friends, my new
0: friends. And I'm honored <laughs> to be one of those new friends. Yes. Leticia, thank you so much for being on the show. I want oh, you to tell you. us all where we can find you. I know you also have a super cool gift for all of the listeners. So they can learn a little bit more about spices, which is something that I would love to learn about. So tell us all about that and where to find you. So what I learned
1: for those that are starting and wanting to cook for their families, but not really knowing how is that if you don't have basic ingredients in your house, uh, like spices, or measuring cups or measuring spoons, and you try to follow a recipe, it's not gonna come out. So we developed what's called the um, uh, Happy Kitchen, and there's three parts. We're just now publishing the first part, which is the Happy Spice Cabinet. It's a list of 19 spices that you need to have stocked in your kitchen and uh, there's definitions of all the spices, where they come from, their history, what they're good for, and, uh, the definition between an herb and a spice because they're all included in one. The herbs and spices are all part of it, and you can get those, shall I say? At, yeah. Uh, yeah. Nannybubby.com/spices. Nannybubby.com/spices. You can find me at nannybubby.com. My website, lots of my original recipes. Believe it or not, I have them. <laughs> Finally, after a lifetime. Um, 36 original recipes on uh, nannybubby.com. You can find me every day on Nanny Bubby Facebook live at 3 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time or Pacific Standard Time or Daylight, depending what time of year we're in. Instagram, Nanny Bubby. And we have a great group called Gather with Nanny Bubby. And you can join our Facebook group.
0: Gather with anybody. That sounds awesome. And we're gonna be sure to follow you in all those places. Marla, thank you so much for being in the show. I so appreciate you. I appreciate your work. Much, much continued success. And I can't wait to
1: stay in touch. You are definitely even better than what could be called a Jewish Oprah. You're amazing. (laughs) Great job, Yael. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And I take this as a huge compliment coming from you. Thanks to Marla Letisha for stopping by. You can find her at nannybubby.com and you can download her happy spice cabinet, 19 essential herbs and spices to make every meal special at nannybubby.com forward slash spices. And you can catch her live on Facebook every day sharing How to Cure the Dinner Dreads, Cooking with Nanny Bubby. Thanks everyone for being here. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review and rating. It really takes two seconds and it's so helpful for the show. Um, iTunes favors um, shows which have frequent reviews. And you know what? We're about to reach our 150th episode plus four years of being on itunes of being out there in the world it would be amazing to get to those milestones and make it again into itunes um into one of the top 10 in itunes judaism category which we've been done on the past we've been on that list several times it would be it would be amazing to be there again so if you enjoyed this episode go ahead and show the show some love by subscribing leaving a review and rating and if you think of someone who would be inspired from listening hit that share button Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit jewishlatinprincess.com.